Hello, everyone. Welcome to Educate Me, a podcast where we share stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school. I'm Britt, your host, and today I have Carrie with me. Carrie, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Carrie Vijou. I'm an MA student at the University of Lethbridge. Um, and my department is a little bit fuzzy, but <laughs> that's the basics. <laughs> so what makes your department fuzzy? So I, the program I'm doing is called an individualized multidisciplinary MA. Um, and the university has created this program because we're, I think because we're a very small university, so we don't have the, the kind of mass of students to be able to give like an MA in history and MA in sociology. So they kind of lump us all together, all of the social sciences. And, but my particular focus is child and youth studies. So, um, that means I take a lot of courses together with all the social science master students. Um, but, and then my own research, I'm the only one doing my kind of research at my university. So. I feel like that's both exciting and lonely. Um, I think I was very much in the same boat with uh, my research topic. So what the, what's that like for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is, it is kind of lonely in that I, I'm excited about my research and I'm um, excited to talk about it with people, but like nobody knows, you know, the, it just it's hard to find someone to get excited about it with besides my supervisor and she's great um and but i just i just want to talk about child and youth studies with everyone and no one knows no one has that background so it's fine <laughs> uh, yeah that's true uh so what is like what's your research topic or your research question so i'm looking at and i'm very early on in the process so I'm, but I want to look at um, children's ability to make medical decisions. So in in a healthcare mm -hmm. setting, um, how much do we rely on children's input and give them the agency to make decisions or be a part of medical decisions? Um, that's kind of something I'm interested in. So yeah. that's really interesting. Oh, that makes me reflect on when I was a kid, I had, uh, like the whole gamut of like ear, nose and throat issues and had to have all those surgeries. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't recall being a part of any decisions. Yeah. And I think whenever I bring up this topic, it, it does create kind of feelings in people and they, everyone has an experience mm -hmm. or something like that of being a child and not being listened to or heard in a medical setting. And I have you know, my own personal experiences with that as well, which kind of drives my like passion for this particular mm -hmm. subject. Mm -hmm. so that makes a lot of sense. I always think that's the case with people in social sciences. I always say, if you, like, find out their research question and then you have like a window into their soul, <laughs> like in a sense, yeah. because it's always related or there's always a story for how you get there. Mm -hmm. Um, which then translates into a lot of the work that we do as social scientists around uh, like how we apply for grant funding or, or how we do those things where it's so personal. And then you have someone from sciences and it's like, well, how'd you come up with your research topic? Oh, well, like I, it was assigned to me by my supervisor and it's just yeah. so different. Yeah. 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 My partner is in math 
in he's doing his PhD in mathematics mm. and the way he got there was just this is something I enjoy this is like a puzzle I want to figure out and so um, it's not really something that they're maybe not passionate about but it's something they're interested in and it kind of yeah I mean we all kind of come to our research in different ways I guess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about how um, I was giving a workshop on applying for grant funding. And I was saying, mm-hmm. like, you should share your proposal and, and share it widely to get feedback on it. And someone was very concerned about someone then stealing their research idea. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of surprised because in social sciences, you're so connected personally to your research topic and mm-hmm. you have your own positionality and your own um, your own questions that in depend on like the angle that you take right so it's a a very personal research proposal and I think that yeah someone else could take the topic but they're not going to look at it in nearly the same way that Mm -hmm. you will and so I think the idea of getting scooped Mm -hmm. is a lot different in social sciences versus in other sciences because of because of that personal perspective yeah yeah and um especially when you start bringing your own personal experience. And I'm hoping to even write about my experience doing like an auto ethnography oh, yeah. um, thing um, to start to start my thesis. And um, I, when I started the program, I thought it would be very practical and very like, I'm going to interview clinicians. I'm going to interview families. I'm going to do all this field work. But I think what it's turning into more is, yeah, like an autoethnography um, theoretical thing and questioning our questioning our concepts of agency and questioning, um, yeah, just a lot of these the 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 beginning point of pediatric medicine, um, and so yeah, I think it's it's going to be very theoretical and very almost like discourse analysis or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, which I'm excited about because my undergrad was in history. Um, mm-hmm. I come from a history background and I enjoyed it, um, but I was never personally connected to it. So I considered doing grad work in history, but um I just, I needed that, I needed like that passion behind it. And yeah. I couldn't find that in history and lots of people do and they love it. And it just wasn't me. So I'm so glad to have found, it was really my supervisor who kind of um, encouraged this path for me. So, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. So uh, what made you then choose the University of Lethbridge? It sounds like that particular supervisor but did you consider other schools as well yeah um so I did my undergrad at um the University of Lethbridge and I love the school it's a great smaller school mm-hmm. and I knew that um you're really you have that one-on-one relationship with your supervisor so I didn't want to go to a bigger school um where I thought I'd get kind of lost in the mix of it so um, yeah, I wanted a smaller school and I know the U of L so well, and I know this supervisor very well. And, um, yeah, so it just seemed like a good fit. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Being at a smaller school definitely has, uh, it's, it has its advantages. Um, and one thing I noticed about the University of Lethbridge was, yeah, the student body uh, of graduate students being so small really knew one another. Uh, and it was harder to just be a face in the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm considering going on and doing my PhD. Hmm. And um, in that, I would probably go to a bigger institution just because the U of L doesn't even offer PhDs in um, specifically, well, they have kind of a general social science PhD, um, but that's not really what I'm looking for. So yeah. I think I'll have to go out east or um, Rutgers in Philadelphia has a really mm -hmm. great child and youth um, program. And these programs are kind of few and far between. Right. Um, just because it's kind of a developing discipline and a lot of, you know, institutions don't have that, the enough students in that department. So, um, yeah, there, you have to search out those opportunities. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I was going to ask you actually, if you were thinking about continuing on with the PhD, because one thing I remember a lot when I was in my master's was how it always felt like people were treating you as just like a PhD in waiting. And there's very little programming or very little support generally for master's students. Like everything uh, was, um, it would be titled like something, something graduate students and you go and they're only talking to and about PhD students. Have you mm -hmm. found that yourself at all? Yeah. in in the sense of, I, I kind of get the feeling that a master's is just something you get through so you can get to the PhD. Right. Right. And so they, you know, they say, oh, you know, you write this thesis, but it's not a huge deal. Um, you'll never look at it again. It's just your master's. So it's like this hurdle to get through to the real study, which is your PhD. Mm -hmm. um, and especially with um, considering work with children, it's very difficult to get, if I were to do an interviewing sort of thesis, to get that ethics review in in the short window of a master's would be very difficult. Right. Um, people, Some people do it, but um, it's definitely um, a difficult kind of thing to do. So it's almost like, okay, your, your master's is just this theoretical thing, you read lots and write lots, um, but the PhD is where you really get into your field work and your case studies and mm. that kind of thing. Yeah, that's kind of the feeling I get. Um, but I haven't talked to, yeah, I just haven't talked to a lot of people in my discipline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about how like at, at conferences um, for education kind of broadly that I would go to, they put on sessions for graduate students. And then I would go as a master's student. I would just be so frustrated because it wasn't for graduate students. It was for PhD students. And, and at the time I thought I wasn't going to continue or I didn't really have the intention to continue. Um, it was like, yeah, I might, I might not. And so for those who were like, yeah, I'm going to continue, then it was, okay, yeah, this is just a stepping stone. But for, for a lot of students, this is like a master's as an endpoint. They don't continue. And so that always struck me as, as something that was frustrating. <laughs> uh, and I feel like the, that people who end after a master's are intending to get into some sort of professional work 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like they aren't really supported in that way or that like a career kind of like a career search or, and I, I haven't done this myself. I don't know um, about our university, but I, I feel like that, that transition from masters to working is not super supported. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I can see that. Yeah, we were lucky at the University of Calgary. We had a career advisor, particularly for master's students, and then mm-hmm. one particularly for PhD students. Okay. Um, and that was, I mean, you could really go to whoever you worked well with. Like, they're both equally as, as competent and capable, but... Um, it was helpful in that sense that one was very much dedicated to finding industry work and helping you find industry work targeted mm-hmm. for master's graduates versus um, more of the career exploration that happens for, for PhD students. So, um, but I would definitely say, even if you are planning to continue, like go to career services early and, mm-hmm. and keep going. Um, like I was able to do a bunch of, um, like interest tests and like personality tests and those sorts of things to, to mm-hmm. kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And starting that exploration early was really helpful. I remember going to an interview prep, maybe like, uh, probably like six months, seven months ago now, maybe almost a year actually, because, oh yeah, no, it would have been longer than that. Cause it was in person. So it's probably, oh, yeah. it's probably <laughs> a year ago. Yeah. It was like pre pandemic. So yeah, it's probably over a year ago and I wasn't really planning to enter the job market quite yet, but I was keeping an eye open for things. Um, and doing that early then meant that when a, a job did pop up that I was like, Oh, I like, I could really do that. I do really want to do that. I was then prepared versus waiting for, okay, now I'm finishing, now I'm graduating, now I'll apply. Yeah. So I definitely say, particularly for master's students, because you don't have a whole lot of time, uh, unfortunately, unless you extend your degree, but don't, yeah. don't do that. Um, <laughs> try not to do that. But definitely yeah. Yeah, going to career services early on was really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So what would you say for you has been like your biggest challenge so far in graduate school? Um, my biggest challenge is is um it's not the workload I don't have too much work it's that um that procrastination piece Mm -hmm. that I find really difficult to get through um because as an undergrad um I I would you know know about a paper months in advance and then work on it you know the two nights before or something really you know kind of get through it into two days or whatever it is and be like, okay, we're done with that next paper. Um, but in grad school, you can't really do that. And, um, and also just like being able to produce kind of not your perfect work. All, all this coursework that I'm doing is not producing perfect work and kind of letting go of that perfectionism. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people struggle with you know, that kind of type A personality. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, just getting over and, you know, the perfectionism leads to the procrastination because you're so nervous about, I got to do this perfectly that you just don't start. Mm -hmm. So um, I have caused myself a lot of grief for not just starting something. (laughs) And so yeah, that is the hardest thing I've found so far. And um, 
and yeah, it's not that I, I have too much work. Mm -hmm. I like, I don't, um, I took a really balanced course load. Um, and then I have my TA, you know, grading on the side and it's, it's really manageable. It's just the stress that I put myself under Mm -hmm. for putting it off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you come up or have you come up with or realized any um, strategies that are helping you overcome that yet? Um, a little, um, I'm trying as, as much as like, whenever I tell some of someone about this, they're like, yes, I struggle with that too. Mm -hmm. So just to know that it's a very normal thing to go through is helpful. Um, and then, um, yeah, just, I guess trying to be more organized and set kind of goals, like daily goals that has been really helpful and not saying I have to complete this whole project today, but like I can put a, you know, make a project into chunks and accomplish one chunk per day kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's, that's been helpful, but yeah, definitely still, uh, still struggling a little bit. (laughs) It reminds me a lot. I've had a realization quite recently and it's taken me a long time to realize this, but uh, the realization that the purpose of, of a PhD or, or a master's is not to prove yourself, but mm. to learn. Yeah. And I realized that for a lot of the time, I was approaching it with this mindset of, okay, I have to prove myself. I have to prove that I'm, I'm worthy of being here, that I'm smart enough, that I, I can hold my own, that I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but really, you go to grad school because you want to learn more and because you want to dig into an area that you really maybe know nothing about. Mm-hmm. And so since I've, I've kind of accepted that, <laughs> that newer mindset of, okay, it's not, it's not to prove myself, it's to learn. Um, mm-hmm. I've been much more willing to, to ask my supervisor for help and mm-hmm. also to say, you know what, I don't know how to do that statistical analysis you want me to do. Um, yeah. If you want me to do it, I need help. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to just do qualitative analysis <laughs> and those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, I know. And also the idea of like the, the rough first draft and just making the rough draft, like the roughest draft possible, but at least it's a draft. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also to like, I never understood that the whole writing process was actually how you, how you kind of synthesize things and mm-hmm. come, come to realizations through the writing process. I never experienced that before, but I was taking a research methodology course this year and um, just through the process of writing that paper kind of un- began to understand, oh, this is what I'm talking about. This is, you know, had some realizations as I'm writing. So now I kind of understand better that process of academic writing. Um, that's not just in, in undergrad where you have all your points, you make your points, you know, it's very easy to write those kinds of papers. I always find, mm-hmm. um, so this writing is very different and very, yeah, that's, and it, to release yourself from, Oh, I have to make a perfect, I have to make, this perfect paper the first go around mm-hmm. um that's been very freeing as well yeah yeah that reminds me of in in high school um 
when we were learning first, like how to write essays and, you know, how it was like, okay, you've got your, your thesis statement with the three parts and mm. then your, your essay is like in three parts. And that's basically how you write, how you write an essay. But I would always go back and have to change my thesis statement because it no longer matched what I wrote and yeah. I'd have to go back and change it. And I always thought, oh, this is so bad. Like, why am I having to change it? I shouldn't have to change it. Like I, it should just, it should flow. And then, um, my English teacher, I think it was grade 11 English teacher was like, no, no, no. Like if you realize that the evidence is not going in the direction that you wanted, like, of course you change it and you, and like, that's completely okay. And I remember doing that on my English diploma exam. Um, I thinking like, like I'm going to have to change it. And I changed it. And I was like, oh, I hope, I hope it all works out. And it did work out and I ended up doing really well in the diploma exam. But I think I've held that lesson for a long time of, yeah, you're learning while you write just as much as you're kind of putting down what you already know. You're learning almost just as much as you write. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And just the, just to know that like everyone is going through this, that's something that I'm learning as well is like, we need to talk more about this as, as grad students. And I, I know it's hard right now because we aren't, there's no way to like get us, you know, get a group of grad students together unless we do it on Zoom or something. Mm-hmm. But um, just to share kind of the struggles of specifically of your, like, this is my first semester. And I would love to kind of hear more, more people's experiences. And um, even, I mean, this podcast is great because it does talk about the challenges and the struggles mm-hmm. that people are facing. And I think that's really important just to be more open about it and you know know, you're not the only one who's struggling yeah exactly and like that's the exact reason for this podcast is that we often struggle in silence because there's that piece of trying to prove yourself right and 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 not wanting to be um seen as the imposter and not wanting to be seen as weak and all these sorts of things but when we can actually talk about what we're struggling with I think it it empowers everybody else and empowers you to then, okay, well, this is a problem that a lot of people are having and now we can solve it together or, or maybe we can, I don't know, help each other through it at least a bit. Yeah. And just to, I mean, that's, you know, just to talk about our own mental health going through there. I, I mean, we're all kind of struggling right now. And especially with, I found that, you know, if you were in an in-person class, you would have that five minutes before class where you would talk to your friends. Yeah. How are you doing? And now with zoom classes, like you just don't have that five minutes before to, to just chat with your friends. So I've been um, really making a point of calling people like outside of class Mm -hmm. time and just be like, can we do a 10 minute check-in or even just a text? Like sometimes we do a text check-in, like, how are you doing? Yeah. Um, That's been really helpful and really um because I I do miss the community the community of being on campus um because we would be you know in our office there'd be four or five of us in an office together and we'd be chatting whatever um so I miss that I miss kind of and people popping by your office just to say hi and like I miss that part of the community really Mm -hmm. and walking to and from class together and yeah, I was thinking about that the other day too, how 
Zoom meetings, they they start and they end rather abruptly, and there's no none of that chit chat kind of before and after. Um, but then I was also reflecting sometimes it's a good thing because I remember, um, particularly my masters, uh, we would always like check in with each other, like where we were on assignments. And there was always one person who was like, oh yeah, I'm done. And the rest Mm -hmm. of us are like, not even started. (laughs) And so I was just like, okay, well, we don't ask that person anymore because they're not there to commiserate or to like check in with us or offer support. They're just they're they're not getting that piece of it and I was like when someone asks you if you've started your assignment or or when they say I haven't started yet where are you the answer is always like oh I haven't started either like that should be the answer yeah or or at least of like oh yeah I'm nearly done like can I help you get started um like do you want to chat it through so we can so you can get started um Mm -hmm. but I remember that. And so sometimes the after class or before class five minutes, I like don't always miss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, um, yeah. And then since the pandemic, I've also been a part of a couple um, online grad student groups where we uh, are on Slack and kind of check in and, and there's daily write-ins and things like that. So yeah. Um, check out uh, grad right slack on twitter or just google it grad right slack and we have uh daily writing sessions and then people that are just like hey i'm working on stuff who else is working on stuff um and we have a whole channel for rants and writing distress so we also share we also share in that like commiserating of like when things aren't going well and then and then um celebrating when things do go well also of course so that's been really helpful and it's people from all over the world and in every discipline you can imagine. So that's also been, been helpful because I find sometimes, um, particularly when you're getting closer to finishing or when you're working on grant applications and things, if you're only talking to people in your same discipline, it can get rather competitive. Um, even if no one's meaning it to, yeah. it does, right? Because you're applying for SHRC or for NSERC or whatever, and you're all applying for the same award and, or you're all looking at the same kind of jobs and that can be really, um, really stressful so yeah making sure there's I have friends outside of my discipline as well has been really helpful yeah my supervisor has been great she started like a a reading kind of or like a book club kind of thing for Mm. a few of us this this semester and often we come you know we have the date scheduled and everything and then um we come to the date and everyone's like I didn't do the reading but let's still meet and chat. <laughs> and it's like, no one did the reading. So That's it's just awesome. a facade. You know, we're not actually a book club. We just get together. I have joined a couple actual book clubs um, and they've been really good. Actually, there was one I, I started with some friends because I was like, there's this book I want to read, but I need help reading it. Like I need help being accountable to reading it. Yeah. And so um, by leading a book club, that was also really helpful because then I definitely had to have read it and come up with some questions and things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. So that was really helpful. I want to do it for, for some journals. Um, but I don't know a whole lot of people in my exact discipline that would want to read the same journals as I do. So. So I was also going to ask you, so you mentioned that your partner is also uh, a graduate student and so what, what is that like balancing workloads and, and time and all of that when, when both of you are in such a high demand school? Yeah. 
so he my partner lives in australia actually oh wow <laughs> yeah um he's doing his phd out there and um but we met here we met in lethbridge and um so it's difficult i mean never mind the time zone and the time change difference but um just trying to make time in your day for and we have to be very intentional about that Mm -hmm. because we don't live together and so it it becomes yeah something that you have to be very intentional about and so um yeah and I mean we always we're able to talk to each other about what we're researching and what we're doing but there's such a disconnect between his very quantitative math um background and my like let's talk about our feelings <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing but um no it's good it's yeah we learn from each other and um yeah no it's good well that's good to hear wow i can't imagine that's a uh, super long distance and then yeah. with the pandemic there's like no no known time of when you might be able to see each other yeah. Yes. And my plan had been to go out in March to go visit and then everything just happened. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely, but I, I mean, I know a lot of academics who are long distance, right? You know, mm-hmm. someone gets a job here and I have a job here. So I think it's, it's a common thing for academics to kind of be long distance, even for a period of time. But this is definitely a little bit more long distance than you were hoping for. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's so true. That's a common, common issue um, for academics. And I don't think, well, the whole system has to change for there to be a solution to that. But yeah, well, and now with like online teaching and everything being online, there is more, I think, more opportunity to move around and maybe not be local to your mm-hmm. school and like be able to work remotely um so I don't know but yeah um I'm always interested to hear um when you know people who have a similar experience that oh yeah like I was long distance for this long or whatever um yeah yeah it happens yeah yeah it's true yeah actually I have um a few uh colleagues who started well a couple I would say a couple colleagues who started a new position while or like during the whole pandemic so they've been um teaching from home and then they've been able to stay in the city they're in and haven't had to to officially move and so I could have done that too but I was happy to move out of Alberta (laughs) yes and like honestly I, I think getting out of Alberta, I mean, as much as this is my home and I've lived here for a long time, but I, it would be really nice to have a change and I would love to go out East. Um, I really don't think I want to go to the States as much as like Philadelphia has a great, um, child studies department, but I just don't think I want to go out there. I'd love to stay in Canada. Yeah. Would be my goal. But um, I think there's there's more kind of bigger universities and more opportunities out in Ontario um, and maybe a little bit. I mean, who knows? <laughs> Every Post-secondary everywhere is just like kind of taking a nosedive in some respect. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's unfortunate, but there are a lot of schools in Ontario. Like that's the one benefit out there. We're like, yeah, in Alberta, you had a choice of basically, I mean, it, it's grown more now um, with a couple of the colleges becoming universities, but really how much choice was there or is there still? Like if you live in Lethbridge, Lethbridge College or Lethbridge University, Calgary, you've got two choices. Edmonton, you've got two choices. Um, whereas in the Toronto area where my cousins are, they have so many choices when it comes to where they go to university. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Much easier. And a lot more, well. yeah, a lot more opportunity for, um, collaborations and, um, even, I mean, I've, I've heard this too, that people say not to do your master's and your PhD at the same institution and that, you know, it's better to kind of get more of a broad experience um so as much as like I do love the U of L, it's it's really nice and small and um you know everyone but I mean even just that opportunity to be challenged and to take yourself out of your comfort zone like that's kind of exciting and kind of yeah mm-hmm yeah, get new perspectives and a new environment, but also figuring out how a new institution works and all that sort of stuff can be can be a challenge in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, and I love um, the there's really an interesting work, and I found you know interesting pockets of work that I I myself you know am passionate about, and mm. there's um, a group at McGill talking about ethics, um, the ethics in childhood research, specifically in like healthcare research. Hmm. Um, and they're doing really interesting work. Um, and yeah, there's a couple schools out there who are maybe doing something different than what we're doing out here. And, um, yeah. And I, I haven't looked at like NBC, if UBC or any of those universities are doing anything, but um, it's just a very kind of new discipline that we're studying children in and of themselves and not mm-hmm. and it's such a multi inter, interdisciplinary thing as well, because it's education and it's social services and it's healthcare mm-hmm. and, you know, it's legal, you know, legal things. And so it's, um, it's an interesting discipline in that it, it's like everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, I know there's a professor at the University of Calgary studying um, children's perceptions of pain mm. and believe it's, I'm pretty sure it's connected to like medical procedures um, as well. And I remember it mostly because one of her students was presenting at the undergrad research symposium mm. and, uh, and they were doing research for, on children who had the same surgery that I had had as a kid. Oh, and I was like, cool. oh, that's really interesting. And, and um, findings that definitely like parents' perceptions and parents' fears influenced children's perceptions of pain. Um, and so I thought that was, that was really interesting in terms of, yeah, how much you, I don't know, how much you project on children. And I know like as a teacher, I know we project on children a lot, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. but seeing, seeing that in, in uh, empirical research as well is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, I'm interested in specifically in agency and in, and that's kind of a concept that gets 
thrown around so much. And um, we talk about, um, you know, developmental psychology and um, that, you know, how do we see children? Do we see them as like little mini adults? Do we see them as like blank canvases Mm -hmm. that we need to like instruct and mold and um, change and bring into this adult, you know, space? Or do we see them as their own autonomous thing um, in and of themselves? And so there's really interesting um, work being done around that and and globally, really, because um, Canada is not always at the forefront of that kind of Mm -hmm. um, research. So there's a lot, and then there's lots of opportunities to go elsewhere. I know um, I have a few friends who had gone to Scotland and studied in Scotland a little bit and done conferences over there. And there's, you know, stuff happening in Australia too, that um, is interesting. And you just, I mean, it's like anything. I think you have to seek out what you're interested in and, and really do your research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I learned too with with not having like a, a group at my own university doing the same research that I'm doing is that there was still a lot of overlap with with other people, but then um, finding finding kind of my people outside of my own university. So once I finally found um, and was able to attend uh, a particular conference. I go and it's like everybody's using the same language and everybody agrees on like what those what those yes. terms mean and you don't yes. have to like spend the first 10 minutes of your presentation explaining what you're talking about yeah. Yeah. Um, and and having these conversations about assessment it was like oh these are my people um, but they're all in the UK and Australia yeah. and a couple in Singapore so I was like oh maybe if I had found that before like I may have chosen to do my PhD elsewhere but at the same time there like I found that because of something at my university you know so it's like I may not have stumbled upon that topic or gone down that path if I was at another university Uh, I kind of had to to start where I was and and to to follow that path to see to see what else was out there Hmm. yeah for sure yeah and so hopefully you'll be able to go to conferences before your master's yeah I hope so too I know there's one, there's a big one online coming up um, in like May, June, and that's in the UK somewhere. Um, So I'll be attending that one. But um, yeah, it's just different. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, I'm hoping to attend, there's one in January in the UK, but it'll be online. So I'm able to go and then um, planning to go to the one in the UK in June again, but I don't know. Depends on on how far along this whole vaccination thing is going, but yes, yeah, yeah, but hopefully, mm-hmm, for sure. Well, on that that note of hope, yes, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll wrap us up. Optimism, here. yeah, hope for conferences. Who would have thought we would ever say that? I hope to go to a conference again. <laughs> um, but is there any uh, any uh, advice that you'd like to pass on to to maybe new master students or or undergrads who are considering doing a master's? Um, I would say just really seek out people who, not even people who've done the the same degree as you, but seek out people who have done the masters and, and just talk with them about their experience and what was really hard, what was, you know, really rewarding. Um, 
I've found to even talking with people at my university who are in neuroscience or like the sciences, mm-hmm. that they had a really hard time. They had a really rough go of it with, you know, like 60 hour work weeks and, you know, whatever. So just, you know, take, but then take those stories with a grain of salt because your experience will be your own and you can also, you know, make it work for you. Um, not everyone's experience is going to be the same. So I'd say, yeah, just seek out other people's um, experiences and um, try to get some balance in there. And and then also, yeah, just with the the perfectionism, procrastination thing, like just know that a lot of people are struggling with that and mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't make you a bad person or a bad student or anything (laughs) it's very common and it it means that you care about your work I think also um and but definitely work on some strategies and if you have strategies that are working for you let me know (laughs) awesome well thank you so much Carrie really appreciate you coming on the podcast and taking some time out of your writing and yeah thank you thanks so much Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Educate Me. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A huge thank you to our audio producer, Sean Paris. Join us again next week for more stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school. Until then, stay in school.